This is Adrena Austin, and welcome to Our Stories. With me today is folk singer-songwriter. She's a political activist and LGBTQ advocate. Please welcome Grace Petrie. Hi, how are you doing? It's so great to hear you. Now, you are a lot of firsts for us here <laughs> on this podcast. You're the first British performer that wow. we've had. We've had um, all-American country artists, which leads me to my second point. You're not a country artist. <laughs> You're a folk singer. But for me, so we talk about diversity on the show. We celebrate diversity. We celebrate inclusion. And for me, that is sonic diversity as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, folk comes under storytelling, the storytelling music. So that includes Americana, country, folk. Like, I feel like it's all under one big umbrella. And folk, for me anyway, I always kind of feel it was like my gateway to country. Because I didn't grow up. I didn't start with country music. My parents, I think a lot of times music, your first introduction is whatever your parents are really listening to in the house. And for me, that was a lot of folk. They were listening to Simon and Garfunkel. They were listening to James Taylor. They were listening to um, Carol King, you know, singer-songwriters like that. So that was kind of where I got the appreciation. And that morphed into other genres, into the inclusion of country. And that's what I really love about the storytelling music. Um, were you always a folk singer? Was that always something that came naturally? Or was that something that evolved for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's... It's p- different people have different sort of interpretations of what is and what isn't folk, and and I think that um, you know it's it's interesting that th- I think these days in the kind of digital music industry, you, I think you're more encouraged than ever to really put yourself in the in the box of a genre. Um, and for someone like me, I kind of have I have a lot of folk influences. I have a lot of kind of punk influences almost. I've written songs that are, I don't want to offend your listenership, but they they've you know they've been they've been loosely called as country esque, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I've kind of like I've got a foot in a few different camps. Um, but for me, I think I think as with you, you know, the um, a, st- a song has got to be telling a story for me to kind of connect with it and. I like music from across all different genres if it's saying something and if it's and I find you know the the best songs that really grip me and really sort of take hold of me and won't let me go are the ones that you know you're some you know the the songwriter's got something to say and and whether that is a political thing whether that's like a personal story um and and you know I I think that that is why I've kind of found a, a sort of natural home in folk music because my my songs are very much telling a story, you know. I mean, it's it's some some of it is a political story, a more sort of general story, but most of it is just my story of of, of moving through the world. And um, I guess because of some of the things about my identity, you know, being a being a, a woman in a kind of inherently, I guess, sexist society, uh, and you know, being a, a lesbian and 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 being a feminist, you know, my stories that I that I would naturally tell, they've kind of been interpreted as political so I've sort of become kind of known as this political songwriter when all I was ever doing was sort of telling my own stories you know and and that it's a really interesting point that you bring up because a lot of your music is yes it is politically charged you are going after policies you are bringing up your political discontent but the other political component which to me isn't I wouldn't call it political because it's it's you. I don't think you writing a song about a woman that you love is political. Sure. For me, that's like that. There's some pathway in my brain that doesn't make a connection and yeah. say, why is this? Why is that political? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that I was I was the same way. Um, I mean, I'm very very I'm very fortunate, and I've got an incredible family, and my parents are absolutely amazing. 
and uh, and they were very clear with me forever. I mean, with with me and my siblings, but they were very clear that it was never going to be a problem if if any of us were gay at all. You know, mm. they were incredibly sort of supportive that way. So I always, you know, you know, when I when I I started playing the guitar when I was thirteen, uh, and I started writing kind of awful. Um, awful kind of, I guess, pop style songs. We all got to start somewhere. We do, we do, absolutely. And I think most people start there, actually. But I, and you know, I was writing about my love life because that's what you do when you're 13 and uh, love life, as if I had one. But you know, I was, I, I was trying to emulate what I was hearing on the radio. And you know, I wasn't going to sing. I, I wasn't going to sing love songs about boys because I wasn't in love with boys. So I just sang what was happening for me. And I was. It was years before anybody sort of said to me. I remember when I first started doing gigs, people kind of saying things to me like, wow, it's really brave that you'll kind of get up there and talk about that stuff. And I, I think it's just a mark of how lucky I am, the house that I've come from, that I never really I never really thought that I, I it, it took any bravery to sort of tell the truth about myself. And then I think, you know, I lived, I lived in the world a little bit longer and I kind of, you know, saw the way that things are and, and uh, you know, I was, I experienced like more homophobia I guess than I had when I was younger and I was kind of protected by by living at home uh and you know now I th- I think that I I've kind of reached this age where I realize that when I was younger when I was growing up I I didn't really have any kind of lesbian musician role models and I didn't really have anyone I certainly didn't see anyone who looked anything like me you know like obviously this is a, a, a podcast so I'll, I'll I'll tell the listeners that I um, I'm like quite a quite a butch, quite a masculine presenting woman, uh, and you know I I never saw anyone like that when I was young. I never saw any anybody that looked like me on stage or on screen anywhere. And I think I've come to sort of really realise how important that representation is, mm-hmm. because you know I I was quite insecure about the way that I looked for a long time, even though I wasn't particularly worried about being gay. You know I think it would have really helped me to see somebody who looked a bit like me kind of just just doing it and just being on stage and that being fine and you know now I I think it's really important to me that I've reached a a, like a a certain level I guess Um, and I've been fortunate with my career to to get to play to kind of big audiences it's important to me to to sort of be that thing that I never had you know if I can be a visible like lesbian or visible feminist or a visible butch woman uh, you know in a world where that is still quite a rare thing then you know I think that can maybe that representation can help other people where I think mm-hmm. I know it would have really helped me so I think it's 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 a funny thing because I, I agree with you that it shouldn't be political mm-hmm. just to be who you are and, and definitely for a long time I kind of didn't think that it was but now I look around at how much of our culture is still you know our culture is still overwhelmingly white it's still overwhelmingly you know designed i guess by and for sort of the the male gaze and heterosexual men and Mm -hmm. you know it's still overwhelmingly you know in terms of diversity of the people that we see you know celebrated in our culture on uh, elevated on stage and on screen you know we still don't really have any disabled uh musicians or actors that are kind of getting to those top levels we still mm-hmm. don't have or you know no nowhere near enough mm-hmm. so i just think you know that that diversity until we create a culture that reflects the world that we live in you know diversity will always be a political thing mm-hmm. so being yourself if you are anything other than all of those groups mm-hmm. that are dominant mm-hmm 
that is that is always going to seem like a political thing until the day that it doesn't need to be, yeah. which I think we'll make it to personally. You know. Yeah, and uh, representation is like you said, it's just so important. And as you're speaking, I'm trying to think of. Um, different people of the LGBTQ community that I see in these roles or trans women or and I thought of Laverne Cox sure. and and I'm the, and who is a wonderful and beautiful and a, a fantastic advocate but if I can only think of one then that's a problem isn't sure. it definitely definitely yeah absolutely and, uh, and and I think that that is it become it becomes like a, a, a difficulty as well to sort of hold the standard for you know I think we, we're, we're quite bad as human beings, we're quite bad for sort of, you know, making diversity this idea of kind of box ticking and making it, you know, well, well, we have we have one one person from that group here and they've made it, so we don't need anyone else, you know, um, you know, I, I, I know that um, there used to be like I know that black comedians used to make that joke a lot about how like you know uh, Lenny Henry was famous on the BBC, so like well until he dies that's it, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're only allowed one at a time, and I think we are quite bad for doing that, and and the 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 sort of result that that has is that. That, that one person kind of ends up sort of bearing the standard for that entire group, you know, and, and a lot of people kind of talk to me about, a lot of people ask me about being a, a role model, like an LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, role model, and, and I am like, dude, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not, I shouldn't be a role model for anybody, like, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm just I'm just one person living my life, making my mistakes, you know, and uh, and definitely don't judge you know lesbians on me and definitely don't judge feminists on me and you know uh because there's a million different kinds of both of those things and we just need we just need more of these people to tell their stories you know like we all we all we have we have so many different stories that it is it is incredible to me that still even now in 2019 so many of the same stories Mm -hmm. are being made you know there's a there's an author that I really love, an incredible writer uh, called Nikesh Shukla, who compiled the Good Immigrant uh, book of essays. And he's absolutely fantastic. I really recommend his work. And I saw that yesterday he tweeted something about, um, I can't even remember which film it is now, but yet another reboot of a film franchise mm-hmm. has been announced. And he was just like, guys, <laughs> there are so many writers out there who are writing these incredible stories that can't get picked up. And like Hollywood just insists on rebooting things, mm-hmm. rebooting things, and like, hey, there's a place for reboots and sequels and stuff. But also, you know, we could change the whole conversation. Like that could could stand to be so much more different than it is even now. You know, mm-hmm. and that, and I think things are really changing because you know the the whole digital world has kind of shifted the the landscape of of how we communicate our culture. You know, and things like Netflix has totally sort of changed the game. You know, in terms of content creation and stuff and you know pretty pretty soon i guess the old kind of standard of like traditional networks kind of holding all the power and holding all the cards Mm -hmm. i think i do see that changing and i see it changing in music as well i mean i i'm i'm somebody who definitely i think if i'd have lived 20 years ago i wouldn't have had the career that i've had i wouldn't have been able to get to where i am Mm -hmm. because i lived in a time that the internet existed and I was able to just publish my music directly to fans straight away, and there was, and I didn't need anyone's permission. I didn't need a record label to be like, "Hey, we think this will sell, so we're gonna make the album." You know, yeah. I was just able to just make the album and just put it online, and that's why I'm really, I'm kind of, I really like uh, vociferously champion things like Bandcamp. You know, which uh, is just, a f- I, I think, is such a fantastic service where there really is no barrier between the artist and the listener. And you can support, you can directly support music that you think is good 
and that music that you know that money that you choose to to give to that artist pretty much goes you know Bandcamp take a very small cut I built an entire career that way just with people finding what were essentially like home recorded demos Mm -hmm. and just going oh I like that so I'm going to buy it and then that money kind of accrued enough for me to make another album and then I would sell that and that would make another album it became very kind of self-fulfilling self-sustaining and I never needed anyone's permission from the music industry to do that and I think that is a really valuable thing that we have at the moment and it's and it's allowing us to really diversify our stories because I really do believe that somebody like me singing the sorts of songs that I'm singing I don't think I would have I mean I still haven't I've never been approached by a record label ever um you know and some people kind of express surprise at that and I I mean I can't say that it's about politics or it's about being gay or it's about the way I look or it's about feminism I can't say for sure that it's about any of those things but what I can say is that you know I know that I'm very fortunate to have lived in this time where I have the tools to put that stuff straight there in front of the audience and the audience really will come it's like if you build it they will come you know because so many people are lacking that representation and I think that I've been able to kind of prove that there really is that audience you know there is this this audience of you know queer people will come out to gigs if if you put on gigs that queer people are interested in and you know um disabled people will come out to gigs if you put on gigs in in places that disabled people can access you know um and all of these different things i think that it's just about making things that are for everyone you know yeah and you definitely are using those platforms to kind of change the conversation but have you always been politically motivated or was there a catalyst that kind of was like you know what i can't take this anymore and this is how you choose to express that sure yeah um well i guess looking back i was from a quite quite a political family um but it, it wasn't ever something that was sort of ex- explicitly said you know my, my mum and dad um they're both retired now but they both worked for social services all their lives um and that obviously is quite an inherently kind of liberal sort of leaning job and mm-hmm. and um they definitely brought us up kind of broadly with values that i now attribute to kind of yeah socialism or left-wing values you know just the idea of um nobody left behind and you know we we band together to look after the people who you know can't fend for themselves and stuff like that but it wasn't something that really influenced my songwriting until um the government changed in 2010 um in britain and the conservative government took power and started straight away enacting this uh regime of austerity which was just you know punishing basically the the most vulnerable people in society for mistakes made by capitalism you know the big thing for me that kind of got me into all of this um was that theresa may long before she was prime minister she was the home secretary from 2010 onwards um and when she was made home secretary she was also given a role um called uh, minister for women and equalities um and i was sort of 22 at the time and as i said I hadn't ever particularly experienced any homophobia. And I had this sense in my mind that homophobia was kind of something that we had done in the past and that it was over and that, you know, that was Section 28 and all that stuff. That was in the 80s and, you know, we'd repealed it and, you know, we were we were fine now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this person was put in charge of equalities. You know, as a minister for equalities, you're, you are responsible for, um, you know, queer rights. And as, you know, a gay person, to see someone who was put in a role like that, who throughout her career, Theresa May has voted against LGBT legislation at every single opportunity she's had. You know, she voted for Section 28, she voted against um, same-sex marriage, she voted against, you know, uh, same-sex adoption. And so to see somebody who was homophobic in a role like that, 
was genuinely quite frightening for me. I was like, I, I had this moment of thinking, wow, I've been so, I've been asleep, you know, I've been sleeping on this. I kind of was, I was, I, I had this idea that these rights that I have, well, I just have them and they can never be taken away. And that isn't true. You know, I think it's uh, like, I think anyone kind of who belongs to a minority or, uh, you know, even just a woman, you, I think you have that moment of thinking, this stuff that we fought for, it isn't safe. You know, there'll always be mm -hmm. people trying to take it away. We're mm -hmm. seeing that at the moment, you know, with, yeah. with I mean, globally, we live in such a reactionary time, but obviously with, with President Trump, and, you know, the we see the first things that he's gone after, um, you know, in terms of transgender rights in the military, um, already, you know, abortion rights, the, the abortion rights that do exist in the States are being, you know, mm -hmm. systematically rolled back. And it's such a, I think it's such a sobering moment, the moment you, that you realise, and I think we all have it, the moment that you realise that, this stuff that I have today, I can't count on having it tomorrow. I have yeah. to keep fighting for it. There will always be people trying to take it away. And uh, and so that has really kind of influenced my music going forward. And, and now I, I do feel like if, I, if I'm lucky enough to have any kind of platform, any kind of audience, then it is, I have a responsibility. You know, it is incumbent mm -hmm. on me to say, to use that platform to say something, mm -hmm. you know? That is one thing that you notice when you listen to your music is obviously the political undertones. But the other thing that you notice is that you can hear your accent, <laughs> <laughs> which for me, I'm like, you know, I listen, I was like, whoa, because a lot of times I find out being in America, I know this is a very kind of self-centered way to think, but you hear these artists and you cannot hear an accent. Sure. So I automatically assume everyone's American and <laughs> until my husband who's British is like they're British and yeah. I'm like what? Like yeah. what is happening? But you can hear yours and it, and it's funny cuz normally the the sounds and the the way your mouth moves things like that will neutralize an accent mm. just kind of naturally. Mm. But yours is there and I think even her accent is resistant. <laughs> like I love like she's she's going to fight this with every bit. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Yeah. And that, again, is not something that I really did deliberately, but uh, it's it, people do pick up on that. They really say, yeah, oh, it's nice to hear someone actually singing their accent. Mm -hmm. Because, I, th I mean, I think we are, like, musicians are very kind of, um, uh, singers are, are, are very sort of groomed to kind of try, yeah, try and meet that standard, you know, yes. the standard of the, the American. I see, I hear so many British singers singing in this American accent. It's like, guys, come on, what are you doing? Have a bit yeah. of a... Uh, yeah, have a bit of pride. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll play a little clip so you guys at home can uh, hear what I'm talking about. At the ending of last century, I thought I knew the score. The miners lost the battle, but the good guys won the war. I stayed up with my folks, they drank champagne till 6am. The morning that we saw the Tories out of number 10. But you've been really busy as well. So we've got your sixth album, Queer as Folk, coming out, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you've been really busy. I mean, in the years leading up, you've been doing lots of tours. You did, um, what is it, Left Field at Glastonbury. Sure. And then there was a few legs of the Lefty Scum Tour. And then Lefty Christmas. Lefty Christmas yeah. <laughs> so I love the yeah. pattern that we're seeing here. <laughs> do you have to be political, do you think, to enjoy your music? Or can anyone just appreciate the themes? Well, I mean... I have because I have a lot of songs that don't deal with politics at all. Mm -hmm. um, apart from you know, as we discussed in that way, mm -hmm. that they are they are kind of queer love songs. But I mean, a love song is a love song is a love song, right? I think mm -hmm. it, I, I like to think that that's universal. I think that um, definitely my gigs. You know, I, I, when I'm on stage, I speak a lot about politics, and, and I guess if you were 
if you were not um, if you were, if you were kind of really really right wing, you might not enjoy that particularly. <laughs> but I have had people kind of say to me, fact, you know, I get a lot of young people say to me, you know, um, I don't I don't know anything about politics, but I really enjoy your music. And I think that it we're very good, certainly in Britain, we're very good at making people feel like you have to know everything about politics to have an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, isn't true. You know, politics is absolutely everything. What What is there in the world that isn't political? You know, I mean, I used to... Uh, I had a housemate who... Um, she used to drive me crazy because she didn't vote. And uh, we would have conversations about politics and, and, and she would be like, you know, I just don't care about it, I don't care about it. I'd be like, you're gay. Laws have changed in your lifetime that affect, you know, your ability to get married, your ability to, all, like, all kinds of things, mm. you know. And also, in, in, in the same breath, she'd be, like, complaining about how, you know, she was kind of... She'd be complaining about her working conditions. And I'd be like, you need to connect yeah. these things. You need to connect the dots, you know. Like, all of this stuff is political. There's there's no such... Th- I don't think you... It's not possible to live a totally apolitical life. You, you know, politics affects you. It's up to you whether or not you engage in it and have any impact over the things mm-hmm. that are going to happen to you. I, I I hope that there's something for everyone. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, what I sort of try and do is I kind of... I hope that I'm trying to put all of this stuff in such a way that is, you know, accessible, whatever your take on this is. Because at the end of the day, you know even on the left we have so much to disagree about at the moment you know things are so divided brexit is such an incredibly divisive issue you know across the political spectrum and certainly on the left you know there's all manner of left-wingers who um voted to leave the eu for left-wing reasons there's all manner of you know that that division exists it runs right through the heart of british Mm -hmm. society in every you know forum Mm -hmm. so i think there's definitely stuff to argue about but ultimately i like to believe and i could be kidding myself but i like to believe that the messages in my songs broadly are about i hope quite universal messages universally we need to find a way to stop this planet from burning you know universally we need to surely we can universally agree that fascism is bad and you know things like that that i think ultimately we're all just stumbling through life i think trying to as long as we can use our lives to make the world better for being there than before we were there Mm -hmm. that's what i'm all about you know it's a very broad you wouldn't know it necessarily from 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 listening to some of my songs because I do get very angry. There's a lot to be angry about, but ultimately, at my core, you know, I'm actually quite an optimistic person. I do have a lot of what I see around me gives me a tremendous amount of hope for the future. You know, mm-hmm. if you look for goodness in this world, you'll definitely find it. So I hope that there's kind of something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the uh, the <laughs> maybe not the hard right. <laughs> So tell me about your sixth studio album has just come out, Queer as Folk. Christmas. Tell me about that. And sure. how is that different than some of the albums you might have done before? Well, for one thing, um, it's quite significantly um, more expensively made. Uh, my uh, my previous albums had all been kind of self-funded with whatever I had in the bank. And this one was my first it was my first foray into crowdfunding, um, which we, d- we did a Kickstarter campaign for it that was overwhelmingly kind of mind-blowing and very surprisingly successful um, where, you know, I asked for £10,000 and I was terrified that we weren't going to make it and then in the end we ended up getting £18,000 which was just absolutely incredible. So because I had that extra money I was just able to spend a lot more time, a lot more care get some, you know, really incredible guest musicians on there. Um, So, you know, I think the, the quality overall really reflects that kind of extra that extra expense that I've never really had to, to play with before. So your lead single is Black Tie. Because I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to mine Year 11 self In a year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be 
Why was that song important for you to write? Sure. So Black Tie, t- for me, it's the most important thing I've ever written. I, b- I basically wrote it, it's, it's, it's like a letter to my teenage self. So I kind of, I was thinking about if I could go back in time and talk to myself when I was a teenager. I was quite an unhappy teenager, as I think a lot of us were. And, and, and I, I was thinking about what would have made my life better if I could go back and tell my, my, my teenage self one thing, what would it be? And I realised that the only thing that would have really made a huge difference to me um, it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about before would be if I if I could have known that it was okay for me to dress like this um, you know to like how so like in a, in a masculine and, and, and butch kind of way mm-hmm. and uh, and and that because you know that that has always been it's, that's always been very innate to me you know I was very I was like I guess what you would call a tomboy from a really really young age mm-hmm. um, and I had a real strong sense of that um, that has just stayed with me, you know, forever and ever. But we really don't, in, in, in our society, we really don't celebrate masculine women at all. You know, we don't celebrate butchness in women. And I remember being young and the only time I ever would see a butch woman anywhere, it would be something to kind of, it would be something to be disparaged and mocked and denigrated. You know, if, if butch women existed anywhere, they basically were the butt of the joke. And And the joke was that that is hideous and inherently unattractive, right? Even as a, a tremendously confident... I was quite a confident kid, but that that's still... You know, I, I was kind of getting that message implicitly from from everywhere in society, and it really took root within me. You know, it kind of rooted in my foundations and, and stayed with me for years and years and years and years. And then a couple of things happened in a short space of time that kind of changed my worldview altogether. Um, one of them is just as simple as I turned 30 and I found it. Just something changes something when does. you cross that yeah. 30 and you're yeah. like, hey, I'm good. Yeah. Literally, that's what it was. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's if it's like subconsciously I'm like I I haven't got time to be insecure anymore, you know, like I don't know how long I've got left at this, you know. Um but I think I just it's so funny to me. I don't want to sound in any way kind of condescending to younger listeners, but it's so funny to me that when I was in my early 20s I really thought I was grown up and I just look back now and I was like god, you were so unsure of everything and so insecure about everything and like, you know, I'm sure there are people in their young 20s in their early 20s out there who were totally sore but I was not at all and when I you know I don't know there was something about turning 30 that just I was like oh you know I'm okay I am okay like this and this is who I am I guess this is who I'm always going to be and I'm good with it you know and that was a really liberating experience and then you know um, something else that happened to me is uh, the um, the incredible phenomenal Australian comedian Hannah Gadsby I don't know if you know her work but she uh, she wrote a show called Nanette which was tremendously successful um, she won the Edinburgh Comedy Award for it uh, two years ago and it's actually on Netflix uh, now and it's a sh- it's a show about being a butch woman and being a butch lesbian and moving through the world and making constant apologies for the way that you look mm-hmm. And I went to see it at Soho Theatre and I just bawled my eyes out throughout the entire thing. And it, and again, it was that thing about representation um, where, you know, she has this incredible line in that show that says, um, I had to tell my story because I know how important it would have been for me to see my story told. Uh, and that really just absolutely hit me, you know, right in, right in my heart. And, I yeah, I bawled all the way through the show. I bawled all the way home <laughs> on the train. Um and it really stayed with me. It really lit a fire in me, that show. And seeing someone like her do something so successful and be so celebrated for who she is and be so unapologetic about who she is, that really made a massive difference. And then the the final thing, the kind of piece of that puzzle, was um, 
it's kind of it's kind of funny how how I responded to the Me Too movement and how when Harvey Weinstein particularly, when everything came out about him when he was exposed, you know, I realised that all my life the only the only time I'd seen butch lesbians on TV or in a film. The only time I'd seen them, they were written as these predatory, you know, lechy, creepy characters who were preying on women, and women were basically always completely repulsed by them. And I realised for the first time that those characters had been written by men, and they'd been written by men like Harvey Weinstein, who were basically treating women that way themselves behind closed doors. And I didn't need to be afraid of this caricature of a lesbian, because it wasn't real, it didn't exist. And so all of those things, you know, just really, it was like a kind of light bulb moment for me. And I and I ended up writing this song that was a letter to my teenage self. But it's also like a, I think it's it, it's it's also just a, a general kind of peon to to saying, you know, you, you're you're good. Like you can just be who you are, and you know, you don't even need to worry about it if there's nobody that looks like you anywhere. You can be that. You can go out there and be the person. Mm-hmm. You know, you be that person for for the kid, you know, that you were. And it's been such an incredibly the journey that I've had with that song I can't even tell you I I mean I didn't really think it would even resonate very much with people because it's such a personal thing Um, I kind of thought it was important to me to write it and I was really happy after I'd written it but I was like oh I don't know if this is even really going to translate because it's so personal and my god you know it's just it's, it's gone like wildfire you know the first time I even played it anywhere you know the whole most of the audience were in tears and 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 I've had so many people um I can't I just can't tell you like probably hundreds of communications from not just lesbians and not just queer people you know right across the board I've had like you know straight cisgender middle-aged men come up to me at gigs and say wow that song Black Tie really hit home for me and I think that it, it goes back to what we're saying about trying to find the universal in the personal because actually I think so many of us, whatever our journey is, you know, for me Black Tie is a very specific story, it's a very specific journey about my identity and my feminism and my queer identity and my place in the world, but I think everyone, or the vast majority of people I think have got an unhappy teenager in them somewhere, you know, Um, and everyone kind of, it's a very cathartic thing, I think to kind of say, just to ask people that question like, hey, if you could talk to your 15 year old self, what would you say? And most people, I'm pleased to say, most people would say, some variation on you're going to be so much happier when you grow up. Like, things are going to be okay, yeah. you know. It's a very therapeutic thing to be able to say. It's a beautiful song, and it must be so fulfilling to be able to have those moments for people. Like, you experienced, you went and had that, you went and saw the show, and then, you know, yeah. you, you found it very emotional, very profound for yourself, and now other people are getting that same reaction when they hear a song that you created that was so personal mm. for you. Yeah. So thank you for that, and thank you for sharing that perspective. And what can we expect coming up for you next? Well, I'm I'm gigging so much at the moment that I'm... <laughs> Uh, but I am actually still finding time to write stuff so uh, I'm hoping to have a record out next year Um, don't quote me on that necessarily because I definitely have to go and find a way I'm hoping to go away and do some writing and uh, just kind of immerse myself in just me and a guitar somewhere by the sea Um, but uh, yeah I've got I'm I'm on tour in the UK in various lineups uh, right through until the 1st of June 
Um, and then I've got a, a very busy summer. I've got 16 festivals across the UK uh, in, in this summer. And then I have an autumn tour pretty much as soon as I come back. And then uh, if you have any listeners in Canada, I'll actually be, I'll be out there. Uh, we so. do, actually. Cool. Yeah. Hi, Canada. Hi, Canada. <laughs> I love Canada. I adore Canada. And I'll be, I'll be over in Canada uh, summer 2020. So, yeah, Fantastic. loads of stuff coming up. Excellent. Yeah. It's all very exciting. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on the show and just being so candid about your music and about your life and representation and inspiring others. You do it with dignity and grace. <laughs> hey, I'm Adrena Austin. And I'm Grace Petrie. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Our, our stories. stories. Thanks for listening to Our Stories podcast, an inclusive celebration of the diverse people, sounds, and stories of country music. I'm your host, Adrena Austin, and I'd like to give a very special thanks to our guest, Grace Petrie. As I strive to become a worthy ally, I'm realizing the importance of just listening. Thank you, Grace, for sharing your stories and perspectives. They were certainly inspirational and eye-opening. Our theme music today was Black Tie off Grace Petrie's latest album, Queer as Folk. Now you can find all of Grace's music and merchandise on bandcamp.com. You can connect with Our Stories podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where you'll find all the latest news about our guests and upcoming episodes. You can now find Our Stories podcast on iHeartRadio for Android, Apple, or iHeartRadio.com. You can also find it on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Countryline, and many more. So be sure to pick us up where you like to listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your friends about our stories. Because everyone is invited to this party. 